You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. It's awesome to be here this morning, and I'm excited for the, uh, the, the finale of the series on Adrift. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, you would have been, uh, I'm sure, challenged and encouraged like myself from Pastor Paul's messages. And, you know, he's been basing... Uh, the messages around these different elements or ideas around the anchor and the rope and the boat and all of that. And tonight, today I wanted to speak on the, the subject around emotional resilience. And if the anchor, which we're going to read about shortly, is found in Christ and we, our lives, are a boat, so to speak, then it's no good just having the anchor or having our boat, but we need the rope that attached the two. And today we're going to speak out of this concept of having emotional resilience because I believe our emotions are really the rope that either give us the ability to be attached to Christ and be in Christ, or if we're not careful and emotions rule, our soul starts to make the decisions out of our emotional world, we can live out of separation of all He has for us. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you from the outset, whether you're online, you're here in the auditorium, to lean in, because I believe God's got something supernatural for us all this morning. And if you've got your Bible, which is a good thing to bring to church, uh, is I would encourage you to turn to this famous passage of Scripture in Matthew 14. Matthew 14, we're going to read from verses 22 through to 33. It's the Scripture of uh, Peter walking on water. But I want you to lean in and, and listen to this story because it's going to be the basis for some of our thought this morning, but if you don't have your Bible, I'll chuck it on the screens. It says this, immediately after this, the scripture or passage before this, Jesus had just fed the 5,000, some say 12 to 20,000, 5,000 men, and then all the women and children with the two loaves and the fish, or the two fish and the loaves, whichever way you want to put it. Not much food. (laughs) And it says, immediately after this. So this tells me Jesus must have a good case of the ADD, because he just can't stop. He just wants to keep going. He says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted, not kind of nicely asked, but insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent people home. Verse 23, after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, as this all is taking place, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. (laughs) This also tells me this next scripture that Jesus is not just ADD, but he's an insomniac. At three o'clock in the morning, (laughs) Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. They've just been with Jesus, the guy who's just done something unthinkable. The same guy that's been walking through the towns, healing people that no one else has ever seen take place before. Same guy, and in their terrified state, it says in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost! Bad day for the disciples, right there. (laughs) But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter, you know that friend you always have that says something before they think about it? That's this guy. (laughs) Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you 
walking on the water. I mean, who says that? Like, stupid idea. Anyway, Jesus then goes on and says, yes, come. So Peter's also that friend you have that kind of does things before thinking about it. And he jumps over the side of the boat and walks on the water towards Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, again, this word, he was terrified. And in his terrified state, he began to sink. And he shouted with all his might, save me, Lord. Ever been in that place? (laughs) Well, you got nothing better but to yell at God. Pete was there. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed his hand. What did he say? You have so little faith. And then this brutal statement, question slash statement. Why did you doubt me? Like, I'm the same guy from a few hours before that you rocked up and said, hey, we got nothing to feed them. And you did all of that. Like, I'm that guy. You know, you're the guy that was handing it out. You're the ones that collected a basket each. Come on, Pete. Where's where's the faith? Why the doubt? Verse 32, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind then stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him and said, you really are the son of God. Take heart that even the disciples, the dudes that rubbed shoulders with Jesus, had emotions that took over. Take heart that in a world, a day and age where it's asking of us or pleading with us to drift, that even the very disciples did the same thing. But I want to challenge you this morning that God is calling you and I not to drift no longer, but to actually make some decisions where we would build emotional resilience that they wouldn't take our lives off course, but we would master them and put our life back on course. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives, whether we're here in the auditorium, we're tuning in online. I thank you, you're a God who presents himself amongst all people, and I I pray this morning that you would speak to us in an incredibly real way. This wouldn't just be another message that we hear, but actually it would kind of convict something on the inside that would cause us to change, to be more like you. I thank you for the privilege to speak your word. I pray that you would speak in and through my life this morning to each one of us here in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to change tact or change plans pretty quickly because you thought it was going one way and it went another way. (laughs) I'll never forget this moment. I was in a boat been in boats a lot of my life, it's what we got born into, and it was me and a friend, uh, they probably should remain nameless for the sake of the story, but it was Matt Linton, <coughs> love you Matt, and we were in this little 14 foot sea nymph that handles the weather pretty well, but there's no real protection anyway, the forecast was good, we decided we'd go try fish. So off we went, out of Half Moon Bay, Marina, out beyond, we had one 20-litre tote tank of petrol, and I kind of roughly knew the limits of where we could go and then get back, but as it had it, we kept nudging a little bit further, and a little bit further, trying a few different spots to catch fish, and we got to about where I thought was the absolute limit, and I said to Matt, I think we can't go any further, 
Otherwise, I don't know if we'll make it back. And then something happened, which can often happen on the boat. The forecast changed. It is a forecast. After all, it's not the absolute word of God. So (laughs) the wind can change at any moment. And straight away, I knew we were going to be in trouble because we didn't have a very big boat. As we were fishing, I said to Matt, I think it's probably time we start making our way home because it's going to take a while. And it was about a 25-knot headwind, and we were bouncing around getting there, and then we hit the Motuhee Channel. And if you know anything about the Motuhee Channel is when there's wind against tide, when the current runs out, it gets really sloppy like a good old washing machine. (laughs) And this little boat doesn't handle that too well, and so not only did we have a bumpy ride, we got extremely wet, we definitely came back with a few bruises, but by the time we got just inside the Music Point Peninsula, about eight minutes or so from the marina, yeah, (laughs) there was no more petrol, because the engine was using a lot more petrol working harder than it did on the way out, and we were in panic mode. Probably much like the disciples, it's like, okay, we don't have a plan B. What do we do here? And I've been on boats a lot. Matt, not so much. So love you, Matt, but I'm going to throw you under the bus. He yells out in the emotion and in panic, let's just try and paddle to shore. I think if we could paddle that way, we might make it before we get out to sea. I said, Matt, we've only got one paddle. (laughs) And then he said, oh, I'm a great swimmer. I reckon if I jump off, I could get there and then alert someone. I interpreted that as every man for himself. Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, no, let's just throw the anchor over. Throw the anchor over. So we proceeded to throw the anchor over, and the anchor howled. And it was an amazing thing because now we had a moment of clarity to make a correct decision. But how many of us in the panic of life see the wind and the waves and start to sink because emotion takes over. And we got to a point where the anchor was down, and even though the storm hadn't gone anywhere, even though we were still out of petrol, we started to build some emotional resilience. Okay, what what can we do? Well, we've got a phone that works. And I thought, I'll call my brother. I'll call Dan. And so I pick up the phone, and I ring Dan, and I said, hey, Dan, what are you up to? And this is usually his response, and he said, oh, nothing. Just a little jab there for Dan, but I said, can you bring us some petrol? We've run out of petrol. He's like, well, how am I going to get it to you? I was like, just, I don't know, grab the spare spare tank at home, bring it to the marina, and we'll just hope someone's coming out. Sure enough, a boat that was much larger that didn't care about the 25 knots was on its way out. He handed over the petrol tank, said, hey, you'll you'll see these idiots kind of floating in the middle of nowhere, and (laughs) this is for them, you know. (laughs) And so he put the tote tank on a rope and sort of slid it down to us because it was pretty lumpy and we filled up the boat and off we went back home and we got the story for today. So that was good. But (laughs) I never forget that moment because it made me think how many times in my own life, come on, how many of us as Christians get into the frantic nature of life because something changes when it was not supposed to. Come on, a a sickness that the doctor says is incurable. A a wayward child that decides, I don't need God. Come on, the, the house, the dream house is no longer available. 
the promotion you should have got, whatever the wind or the wave may represent in our lives, how many of us either A, fail to realize we have an anchor, or B, even worse, fail to deploy it. And in the scramble, we start getting out the one pedal. Before we know it, we miss the headland and now we're way out at sea. Or we think, you know what? It's a bit uncomfortable in the boat. I'm just going to jump ship. I'm just going to get out. Failing to realize that all we need, as we're about to read in a moment, is understand the anchor we have in Christ. That hope we have is actually all we need in the midst of the storm. See, as a Christian, it's not about, can I dodge the storm? It's actually all about how I respond in the midst of it, because like it or lump it, storms are coming. We did not plan and the forecast did not predict it. However, we found ourselves in a place of uncomfortability, and it was a moment of clarity because we were fixed to something greater than ourselves that gave us an answer and get back to where we needed to be. So I want to challenge you this morning to have a look at your own life when it comes to response in life. (laughs) What does the storm look like? I I, I think it can be a challenge at times for us to kind of, yeah, we believe in Christ, we've got the anchor and yeah, my boat's looking good. I've polished it up because I'm coming to Sunday, so need to make sure it looks all good, and then fail to deal to the rope. But it's the rope, the emotional resilience that will connect the hope we have and the boat we're in to a stable foundation. Hebrews 6, verse 19 to 20 in the Passion Version, I love it, says this, we have this certain hope. Not just a hope, but a certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat which sits in the heavenly realms beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. If you are in Christ, the Bible says you're a new creation, but all access becomes a part of your life. What Jesus did on the cross Those 2,018 years ago is more than enough for you to have a justification for your life to be tied to the mercy seat of Christ. But how many of us fail to realize that's a reality in our lives? So simply put, if this is a certain hope we have, how certain is your hope? How certain is your hope in Christ? Because I, I think it's like a, a new level of understanding, a new level of revelation we need to live out. Like, no matter what comes my way, His Word declares He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Like, it doesn't matter how bad the week has been, He's still God. It doesn't matter how many unanswered prayers you've prayed, He's still God. He's still certain and He's a hope that you and I can have in our best times and our worst times because He is the God of yesterday, today, and forevermore. And I love this definition of hope. It says a confident trust with the expectation of fulfillment. I believe God's a God that answers prayer, but it doesn't tell me that in this definition that it's just always going to be answered. A certain hope means that I have an ability to have confident trust And I need to then display expectation for fulfillment. 
Some of us get into this warring where it's like, God, you're the sugar daddy. I come to you, you give to me. Thanks. And when it doesn't happen on our time or in our terms, we lose hope. Yet hope, and a certain hope, is actually just about having a confident trust that whatever happens, happens, God's still God. And so if hope is something we have in Christ, I wonder what the enemy of hope is. Could it be the enemy of hope is doubt? Or maybe you're tuning in online and you're, you're doubting that God is who He says He is. I want to encourage you. He's a good God. See, doubt is about having a lack of belief or a lack of conviction about something. And isn't it interesting, in the moment that Peter walks on water, he goes from hero to zero real fast. He goes from hope to doubt in an instant. So could it be if it happens for the very disciples that it happens to us more than we give it credit for? Could the drift be something that actually is a reality every day of our lives? That even if Jesus was standing here teaching us today, we would still have the same tendencies we have right now. But I love Peter because Peter didn't give up on Christ and Christ didn't give up on him. We know that Christ was all man, all God and God is all-knowing, and so this is the same Pete that was going to deny Jesus later on. Yet in his moment that he took his eyes off Jesus, hope, and put his eyes into doubt, he started to sing, but what did Jesus do? Got you back. And so I want to encourage you that maybe there's some doubt in the areas of your life that I believe in a moment, and maybe through Revelation today, you're going to get a new courage to say, you know what, I can confidently trust God and I'm going to put my hope in Him. But I believe it starts out of an understanding of emotional resilience. What does it take to have a resilience in our emotions? Our soul can so often cause us to drift off course because of an unexpected challenge that takes place. And we start yelling crazy things like, I reckon I could make it if I swim. No, you can't. The tide's going out. It's a good couple of hundred meters at least that way, let alone only a hundred that way. By the time you get there, you're way out. Then we've got real issues. But how many of us do it? Because emotions rule. <laughs> so I've got three simple thoughts that I'll, I would love for you to take to heart this morning here in the auditorium online around emotional resilience. What, what does emotional resilience require? So number one, I think it requires purpose over paralysis. Purpose over paralysis. I mean, how many Christians are yet to discover their fullness in Christ, their purpose in Christ? How many of us sitting here today are saying, well, if I had a better start in life, or, you know, if I didn't make that mistake, or if that didn't happen to me, or if I had that job, or if I had their skill set, and all of the things... If, 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 because we don't attach our lives to our purpose. The Bible says God's got a plan for your life. Not the person next to you. Your life. So what is that? What does it look like? How do, how do we live a purpose life? Well, good, good question. Head to next steps. It's not something we 
say every week just because we have to, it genuinely will help your life connect to purpose. It happens after this service every single week. And it's a great opportunity for you to discover what God has for your life. But sometimes I think we live under the so-called restrictions society places on us because we didn't have the start in life. And we fail to live purposed and what God has for us. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says this. This is why it is so crucial, so crucial we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truths, God's word, to the truths that we have heard so that we do not drift off course. What do I mean by that? There are plenty of voices in our days yapping at us, telling us why not. And we fail to not only be attentive to God's word, but engage in it. We come to church or we pray the right prayer or we we do the things we know we should, but we fail to live purposed, and therefore emotions start to rule. We lose sight of what we should be focusing on, what the target is, and we look at the wind and the waves, and we begin to sink. Why is that? Because emotions start to rule. We start to drift when we let our emotional world make the decisions for us. So how many of us today need to take a moment to check the rope of our life, so to speak? and see whether there's some mending that needs to take place. Purpose over paralysis for me is simply this. It's the difference between focusing on who you're living for rather than what you're living with. Well, I'm living with a false start in life, or I'm living with a broken marriage, or I'm living with a failed relationship, or I'm living... Whatever the thing is, we're quick to identify what we're living with, and slow to declare who we're living for. Purpose needs to be at the forefront of our lives to live emotionally resilient. Number two, not only do we need purpose, but I think emotional resilience requires accountability over anonymity. Accountability over anonymity. What do I mean by that? Simply put it this way, who's checking your rope? Because if there's anything I know, when I go on the boat and I know the portion of the rope that's a little bit frayed, but it got me through the last storm, I'll probably give it a nudge a second time just to see if it'll work. (laughs) Maybe out of sheer laziness. Oh, it worked last time. Why won't it work this time? What happens if the storm's a little bigger? What happens if the storm lasts a little longer? And we'd rather be anonymous than be accountable. But I've learned in my own life, I need people that say, yo, rope's frayed. Oh, no, no, it's good, it's good. It got me through last time. No, dude. <laughs> Fix the rope. We all need accountability, and we would all, I would say, by and large, agree. I'm not sure most of us, pointing right at myself, would prefer that over anonymous living. Oh, I'm happy to see you again in church and, hey, how was your week? Was it good? Yeah, weather was good, all of that. But the moment the real discussion takes place, oh, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> I'd rather drift through life than actually be talked to. How are you actually going? Have you seen the chink in that rope? Because if we're not careful, another storm will come, the rope will break, and all of a sudden, 
we're really in trouble. The drift starts to really take place. This is why we always talk about the fact that groups are vitally important, whether you're online here in the auditorium. Doing life with people is a must. Not just coming to church with people, doing life with people. Why? Simply put, you can phone a friend. (laughs) What happened? Hey, Dan, what are you up to? Nothing, as usual. (laughs) Can you bring us some petrol? What do you need petrol for? Long story, don't want to tell you. (laughs) Are you kidding? You ran out of petrol? Yeah, 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 we did. All right, I'm on my way. The petrol is coming. We need people in our lives we can call. Because when the storm hits, that's what you'll be looking for. Oh, no, there's no one in the favorites. <laughs> Heaps on the acquaintances list. No, they wouldn't do it for me. They wouldn't do it for me. Oh, I just talked to them about the weather, how their week was. No, no. How many petrol friends do we have? Not petrol heads, petrol friends. <laughs> like, do we genuinely have people in our life that could ex- inspect the rope? That could say, hey, like not, oh yeah, you again. <laughs> hey, can you actually, can you take a look? Let me know if there's any blind spots in here. Like, are my emotions ruling my decisions? Yeah, you seem to be drifting. Like that attitude's really starting to creep in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, no, no, well, come on, let's, let, let's deal with that. Groups become really important in helping us live out our lives. Accountability over anonymity is basically the difference between knowing the Word of God and living out the Word of God. Knowing the message of Christ and knowing Him yourself. Oh, yeah, 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 that guy, yeah, he's a good guy. In the Bible, does good things. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Does your life exemplify a life living according to His Word. Because society in this day and age will ask of you and I to drift from His Word, to be anonymous, so to speak, to blend and to fit in. Yet I've learned that when you live by His Word and keep accountable to it, you do the opposite. You start to stand out. It starts to get a little uncomfortable. You start to face some more opposition and general rule of thumb is we don't like opposition, so we would rather drift and justify our life rather than stick to and live out His Word over our lives. Third and finally, emotional resilience not only needs this thought of purpose or this thought of accountability, but I think third and finally, we need conviction over convenience. This is possibly the worst one, a.k.a. the best one. (laughs) This is possibly the one that we will all battle no matter who we are. Because everything in our lives is about convenience. We buy things or we surround our lives with things for convenience. It's not a bad thing, but it certainly is a bad thing when it comes in contact with God's Word and His principles. It's interesting to me, I've been, as I said, a part of this church for a while, it's existence, 27 years, been a Christian for 29 years, seen amazing things take place, seen some challenging things take place, and seen some, I guess I would put it, disappointing things where I've seen people drift out of what God has, 
I love turning up every Sunday and seeing the people that have been here well over 20 years, still on fire, still committed, still passionate, still making a difference. Why? Because they, they actually didn't allow emotion and convenience rule, but lived by conviction. <laughs> the funny thing about deploying an anchor in the wind is it's great to keep you where you are, but it's worse for your boat. What do I mean by that? If you drift in the wind and waves, your boat rocks, but not nearly as much as if you're anchored in the waves. You start to get a lot more roll if you're not careful because you're fixed to a point that the waves are trying to rage against you in. And so I think one of the reasons we as Christians, my own life, fail to deploy the anchor, so to speak, is because it's more convenient just to drift. It's still rough, but it's not as uncomfortable. I would rather be conveniently moving with the waves of the storm than being convicted about my life needing to change. And how many of us miss out on the full promises of God and we find ourselves back at the same spot we were last year and the year before that and the year before that. Why? Because the storm came and we would rather have convenience and at the end of the day, we end up back to where we were. We do all this work and then we drift back because we don't want the uncomfortableness of conviction in our lives. James 1 verse 2 to 8 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes of any kind, when trouble comes of any kind, whenever they come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What? When troubles come of any kind, consider it a good thing. When a storm comes, consider it a good thing. I mean, how does that make sense? For you know that when your faith is tested, watch it, your endurance has a chance to grow. Then this statement, so let it grow. For when endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Any of us want to not need anything anymore? Have it all? Look for the storm. <laughs> Be a storm chaser, so to speak. Hey, consider it a good thing that your life is going through a bad thing right now. What? Because the endurance will allow you and I to get to a perfect and complete state where we now not need anything. What a challenge. Verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is, is, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. And then this challenging verse. <laughs> Such people should not expect to receive anything from their Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in a couple of things they do. I mean, everything they do. If you're someone that finds yourself back to where you once were and not where you want to be, could I suggest maybe some drift? 
is happening. But the good news is that if you trust confidently in the certain hope we have, no matter what season or stage of life you're in, A, you won't drift, but B, you'll become perfected and you'll get to a point where you need nothing. You need nothing. A needy person is a person no one wants to be around. But if we would choose to not rebuke the storm, so to speak, but understand that through the storm, I am being perfected, it's a game changer when it comes to emotional resilience. The team are going to come and join me, but I love that Pete was the only one in that boat that day that got to be a part of the miracle of walking on water. He just kind of gave it a go. Sometimes I think we overanalyze things and we think, now if I time this right between the swell, I'll probably surf down the back of one of them and make it to them. And we start to get to a place where it's like, no, no, the Bible just asks us to confidently trust. Not have it all together, but just trust that God is a good God that he's faithful to the end. and I've seen so many people, and it's cool, people come, people go. It's not, it's not about building a church, but my heart breaks when the drift happens in people's lives. It can happen with very real things like a family starting. And it's, let's, let's call it what it is. I've got three young kids. It's hard work to get to church, let alone get there on time. It's hard work to make the things that God asks us to make priorities in our life, because we're busy, we've got stuff going on, and if we're not careful, the enemy tries to distract us so that we drift, and then when it really comes on, convenience rules over conviction. And before we know it, we're in a place we didn't want to be in, because we failed to deploy conviction in the anchor. Maybe you're going through a storm right now. Maybe life's not that easy, it's not convenient can I encourage you to stick it out? The thing I do know about storms is they don't last. In fact, the worst storm in recorded history lasted 31 days. One month. Storms come, storms go. They do not last. Yet how many of us get into day one of the storm or day one minute of the storm? Where's the pedal? Oh, I reckon I could swim. Jump, jump. We start to get into a frantic nature where we look at the waves and the wind like Pete did and we begin to sink, failing to realize that all we needed was to trust the certain hope we have in Christ. The storm, regardless of whether you drift or anchor, will come and go. You and I get to determine through our emotional world whether we start back at square one or we stay fixed to where we're currently at and go again when the storm passes. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.